Okay, you guys, here we go. She Runs Ultras episode number 37. And in this one, I want to share my conversation with my good friend, Tiffany Calcutt. She is a registered dietitian. And as we all know, the concept of nutrition and what to eat and when and how much and calories and macros and I mean, all the things is really top of mind for a lot of runners and specifically ultra runners. So I put out a note to everybody on my email list and I posted on social media that I was going to be interviewing Tiffany and I got a lot of questions. You guys, I opened a Google doc and just started dumping them all in there. We got 40 plus questions. So there was no way we were going to be able to answer all 40 of them, but we sifted through them, picked out five or six, and we're calling this episode kind of the basics of nutrition for running. And so this is definitely going to be a series of conversations that Tiffany and I have. So this, we wanted it to be just sort of a primer. Now, Tiffany isn't just like you know, any old registered dietitian, she's an athlete, she's a runner. So she has this background that gives her a lot of insight into exactly what we need to eat. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Tiffany. And on the other end, you'll hear just how you can connect with her and work with her and ask her questions. All right. Enjoy. Okay, you guys, here we go. I have Tiffany Calcutt here with us today, and we want to talk about like the fundamentals of nutrition. And I really wanted Tiffany to be here because she has a background in nutrition. She also has a background in sport. And so we got so many questions, both between like when I put it out on email and on Instagram, my DMs, my inbox was flooded with something like 40 odd questions. And we obviously don't have time to answer all 40. Each one of them could be its own separate podcast episode. But Tiffany and I have kind of selected a handful of questions that we're going to kind of lay the groundwork here for what is, you know, the basics of nutrition, like I said. So before we jump into that, I want to give Tiffany an opportunity to kind of tell us who she is and give us the background, give us the quick and dirty on who Tiffany is and kind of what you do in your day-to-day nutrition practice. So (laughs) go for it, Tiffany. Megan, I'm so excited to be here today. This is not only my first time on a podcast, but I love to connect with people out there who are being active and pursuing their goals. And I'd love nothing more than to talk about food, to eat food, to make food, to shop for food, to help answer (laughs) all things food, all things food. So we're going to have some fun today. And perhaps this will be the start of a couple additional shows to talk about all the questions that are out there about food and nutrition, because it is a confusing space. Always more that we in the field uh, as professionals are learning and certainly always no lack of questions and confusion that the media is stirring up, that crazy fad diets are stirring up. So I feel like uh, I've got some good job security. (laughs) Um, By way of background, I, I live in Peterborough, New Hampshire, and I've had a private practice for six years, I believe it is. Um, I am a second career dietitian. So it actually means I didn't start in this field until I was little later in life. I used to work in sports marketing 
Um, and I worked for Stonyfield Yogurt. And it wasn't until our second child oh, that I right. realized. I totally forgot about that. Yeah. It wasn't until our second child and, you know, a little bit of that, uh, you know, midlife, what am I doing type of questions that I realized I really loved the food aspect of Stonyfield and how all the cultures were great for you and how they do what they do. So I took a little time off and really dialed into my passion for food and nutrition, which had always been there, but uh, I guess I wasn't in, in tune with it as much. So um, let's see. So I went back to school. Uh, my original undergraduate degree uh, is from Princeton, and I was lucky to make it onto their soccer team. So in terms of athletics, my passion began as a, as a team athlete in the, in the realm of soccer. I played some lacrosse there as well. Uh, and then after college, I just, you know, like to keep moving. Um, nothing ever as ambitious as an ultra, uh, but I did do the New York City Marathon. Uh, check that off my bucket list. Uh, and now I tend to tend to stay more towards cross country skiing and just your, you know, runs in the woods and swimming. Um, I'm doing a triathlon in a, in a few weeks up at Mount Sunapee, but um, my, my hat's off to all your listeners who are really pushing themselves because um, I, I haven't done that for a while <laughs> in a really hard sense. But, yeah, but a triathlon is no joke either. Well, it'll be a good challenge. It'll be a good challenge. But I, I you know, those long, long distances, um, hats off to, to everyone listening. <laughs> awesome. So let's kick off. We got, like I said, we got a lot of questions. Um, so I kind of wanted to just set the stage here and talk about what does nutrition mean? And we talked about before we even hit go on the podcast, we talked about uh, these terms that sometimes we use when it comes to food, like good or bad. Um, and one of the questions that we got was, what does, air quotes, good nutrition look like? And so I kind of want to just set the foundations to talk about that. And I'd love to hear like what you think is good, air quotes, <laughs> nutrition, and how you feel about those terms, good, bad, you know, like the right food or the wrong food and kind of all of that wrapped up together. What a brilliant starter question. I love it. I love it. Um, so right. One of the things that we tend to do is to moralize food. That's a good food. That's a bad food. Uh, I'm eating clean. I'm being good today. I'm having a cheat day. All of that, uh, I don't, I don't find value in it. I actually find that it can be quite harmful to people. So, when when you ask what what are the basics to nutrition, and I feel like the answer to that question is the same whether I'm talking to um, a weekend warrior, a high school athlete an ultra marathoner, there are some core components that make for sound nutrition. And without even going into the details of the food, the, the three main principles are adequacy, balance, and variety. So the first one that I would start with is definitely that adequacy. So are we getting enough energy for, for what we are expending and for the needs of our 
personal body, you know, depending on the stage of life we are in with growth and development, depending on the rigor of our exercise, is our energy availability where it needs to be for peak performance. So the, that's the adequate part of a, of, of a sound diet. The balance, that gets into a little bit more of, yes, what is on your plate? Do you have the array of different nutrients that we will certainly be talking about in more detail in a little bit? And then thirdly, the variety. Are you a person who changes it up a bit? Because when we have different colors, different sources of nutrients, our body absorbs them better and we're able to make sure that we are checking off all the boxes. And sometimes if we just always eat oatmeal for breakfast, we miss that opportunity to to fill in all the blanks. So those are the tenets that I find are most key. And then also a healthy dose of, um, you know, kind of adding that most of the time thought process, right? Like this is not about perfect nutrition because that does not exist. And that also would probably not be very much fun to pursue. So I, I like it all to be, um, you know, in the context of, yeah, you know, I, I try to eat, I try to eat soundly most of the time, but I'm also going to treat myself and really enjoy food. So in my practice, I am working with people a lot around intuitive eating um, and less, you know, are we counting each macro and uh, dialing into an exact number of calories and actually tuning more inwards to get that feedback as opposed to looking for it from some sort of external rule. So I want to talk about um, intuitive eating more, but I actually want to jump backwards a second because you touched on something that was really good. And I know I can already hear the follow-up questions that are going to come from all of this. I'm going to try to anticipate some of them. At the beginning, you said something about getting adequate nutrition for our bodies, what we're doing, the energy expenditure that we're putting out. And then immediately what a lot of us think about is calculations, right? Like calories, counting calories. Um, you know, I'm holding up my watch. You guys can't see, but Tiffany on the screen can see me like holding up my watch. Um, but <laughs> these devices are, you know, yeah. whether it's a Garmin or a Koros or a Whoop or whatever you're wearing is calculating this stuff for you in the background. And then we're trying to balance or compensate for what it's telling us in order to make sure it's all right. So how do you kind of, how, how, where do you sit with that? How do we understand how much is adequate for us and where does the like technology merge with the intuitive eating? Like what, what are we supposed to do here, Tiffany? Like <laughs> that's a lot of information. <laughs> Such another good question. Wow. So, right. I mean, this is the Henry David Thoreau's men have become the tools of their tools. Um, scenario. That was my, believe it or not, that was the quotation in my high school uh, senior yearbook. I'm surprised I can remember it. I think it's quite applicable here, right? Because people were, you know, setting world records in Olympic marathons way before any of these digital tools could tell them how many calories they were burning and how many carbs they needed at their dinner that night. So it is possible to succeed at any of these levels without that 
those devices. Um, so I don't have a specific answer as to how to, for each person in their right way, meld the two worlds. But I do always suggest taking numbers, you know, with a grain of salt and sort of as a guideline. So if you're already eating, let's say you're doing uh, a 10K, for example, and you're, and you're eating three meals a day and you're eating three snacks and you are not gaining weight or losing weight or feeling faint or experiencing any really unpleasant symptoms, I don't care how many calories you're taking in. You're, you're probably getting just what you need. And I appreciate that the longer the distance, the, the more rigorous the event there is that desire to, to tune in more to the numbers. Um, and that is what I will do with clients. Um, it's just that the majority of people I'm seeing, they need more help simply trusting their own bodies to get that answer and not be looking at my fitness pal to, to, to make all their decisions for them. That's not to say that I don't think there are examples where something like a MyFitnessPal can provide some wonderful nutrition knowledge for somebody who um, may not be aware of how much sodium they're getting and they have high blood pressure and, and actually recording their diet for a couple of days helps to open their eyes to, you know, some small areas they could make tweaks that could really help them. So it's not really an answer to your question, but it is um, maybe a little bit more of a an overall viewpoint. So would you recommend that people kind of track what they're eating just in terms of um, like using MyFitnessPal or, you know, just making a handwritten journal? Like what are we, what are we looking for? I mean, I know the scenarios are very specific to the person because you gave that example of somebody with high sodium, but um, I I also think uh, one of the things that I teach as part of my one-on-one and group coaching is this, um, the, the listening of the body more when we, when runners come to me with questions about, you know, sh- how much should I increase my mileage from week to week, or should I do this or that, or, you know, whatever the scenario might be. My first question to them is always, well, how did you respond when you did the previous week's mileage? Was it good? Was it bad? Here I am again using those those terms. But in that respect, did you have a positive response? Like, were you able to do the miles? Was it relatively easy for you? That kind of thing. Or did you have a negative response where you were tired, you were run down, you know, you had some sort of uh, body aches and pains and things like that? Like, those are the markers that I'm using to help them evaluate themselves and make those decisions. So kind of on the nutrition side, if we're going to make a list of the stuff that we're eating, what helps us, like, what are we looking for? What helps us to know if we're, aside from the example you gave earlier, gaining weight, losing weight, fainting, you know, like having, having some of those, you know, up and down reactions, like, what are we looking for? I think most importantly is, is, the regularity of meals and snacks. So that would be the first thing that I'm typically assessing when I have a new client is, are you eating breakfast? If, if, if you are coming to see me and our appointment is at 11 and you haven't eaten yet today, we're going to start with the beginning of the day and proceed from there. And so I do think it's helpful, even without 
the technology of an app or, you know, a special watch, sometimes to write down what you're eating and, and how you're feeling, especially as you're starting to increase your training, because there will be tweaks that you need to make, you know, are you eating soon enough afterwards to, to fuel your recovery the best possible. So I do like to, to ask people specifically what they're eating and when, and I think that can be helpful for people to track because they may say, oh, gosh, yeah, now that I'm a teacher and I'm back at work, I see that I never have that snack in the afternoon and I get home and I can't stop eating at dinner. Um, and it's like, right, you, you needed fuel earlier and now you've almost kicked into that primal hunger. So sometimes just having it in writing helps people see where the gaps are. And then also I understood from a lot of your listeners, some food, some, some food related distress. So however, whatever shape that might take for people when they're running, and that's not at all uncommon, but if you are writing down what you eat, and then again, some of the symptoms that you might be experiencing, it's going to be easier to go back and track and say, oh yeah, these three breakfasts consistently work well for me. Oh, I see right here that salad at dinner before running, like yes or no, it's going to be an individual answer. But we'll talk a little bit more about what some of those um, food groups are that you have to be more careful with when you're going to be running shortly afterwards. Okay, good. The other thing I want to just go back and touch on, because I know, again, we're going to, we'll get questions about it. And once someone did um, submit a question about fasting and running, and we're not going to like, I don't want to like go into intermittent fasting now, we will probably talk about that at a later one. But you touched on this idea of not having eaten until like 11am. Now, for myself, I know that if I'm going to run fairly early in the morning, I will have just like a, I make myself with powdered protein, just like four ounces of water and this powdered protein that gives me enough in my stomach to then go out and do a run. That's like, you know, under seven miles. And I feel comfortable running on just that, you know, little bit of stuff that I've put into my stomach. And then I'll come back and have my actual breakfast afterwards. Now, can you like, is there some sort of thought process like that? That for me has just, I practice that and that works for me, but I'd be curious as to what you think about that kind of an approach um, as it pertains to, you know, what is borderline fasted? Again, we don't, I don't want to like dive into that rabbit hole, but like, what would you consider an appropriate time to eat breakfast? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think a, a super rule of thumb is, is to think about 30 to 60 grams of carbs the hour before you go to exercise if you don't have time for a, a proper meal in advance. So let's say part of your training includes a run that's going to be less than an hour long. I would just make sure that you, at the minimum, have a banana. Um, a few fig newtons, something that's going to give you 30 to 60 grams of carbs to, to at least have something in your stores when you head out the door. Um, because just knowing that within an hour, your body will likely have depleted its glycogen stores. So you want to have something in the tank. 
Is there some magic math to your 30 to 60 grams? That would be based on, yeah, your, your present weight and your body size. So if you are, you know, a smaller framed female, I'd say like, hey, a banana's going to do it. If you are a 180 pound, you know, six foot man, you probably need the 60. Got it. Okay. Because I just figured, I figured that was, that would be your answer, but I always like to just kind of put some parameters around it so that to help people make those decisions like for themselves. Um, Absolutely. Okay. So we're kind of on this idea of eating, you know, before an early morning run and you kind of started us out, but like, could you give some other examples about what might be viable, like early morning breakfasts before you run? Um, You know, just, I think, you know, for me, I, if I'm not doing, if I have time to eat ahead of time, because typically what happens is in the summertime, I try to run much earlier in the day because it's lighter the heat is less. So I'm getting up and I'm pretty much like doing my shakedown, getting my run clothes on and going, like having my little protein shake and going. And that's been working for me. And then I'll come back and do my, my longer run. But in the winter, maybe like we're getting up a little bit, like we, we have some time before the sun comes up, right. To maybe eat before we run. So what are some of the other options? Banana, maybe a slice of toast and peanut butter, like that's, that's the extent of my knowledge. So I'm going <laughs> to, you, you tell me what other examples do you have? Right. So we'll break that into two categories. So if you are short on time and you're looking for just a little something, you know, a couple hundred calories, um, that's where I think of almost any fruit, but probably not I mean, apples tend to create cramps. I, I don't know the exact science behind it, but I would avoid, I would avoid apples, but it, you know, it could be a, could be peaches, it could be cherries, it could be that banana, um, it could be uh, half of a sports bar, it could be three fig newtons, it could be five dates, uh, it could be um, a handful of dried fruit. So I think of just easy, quick options to grab. Um, however, if it's a weekend and you're easing into it and you have two to three hours before your run, then we're looking at a more complete meal. And that's when I'd say, look for about half of your calories to be coming from carbohydrates. So maybe it's a whole grain waffle with, um, you know, a glass of your favorite nut milk or a yogurt on top of it. So you want a protein source, maybe you have it with an egg and a piece of fruit. Um, Could be Two pancakes, um, again, with some fruit or some yogurt. Um, I think the the Runner's World Cookbook has some great recipes. Maybe you can uh, put that as a little note. Um, they have some, you know, Runner's muffins that are great, that are not going to be too high in fat or too high in fiber so that they're going to be difficult to digest, but they're just going to be a nice something to you know to get you going so smoothies are also a really nice option if people have um depending on the volume i guess that you're that you're looking to drink because obviously you don't want to have 16 ounces you know right before you head out the door um but i think smoothies are a lovely way to get a great combination of your protein and your carbs and your healthy fats and some antioxidants which by the way you didn't ask me this specific question, but it does remind me there's something called the performance plate. 
And it's, it's easy to Google. It's, um, it's in the world of, of sports nutrition. And the principle that I think is so important for people to hear is that it's far more critical that your everyday nutrition is adequate and balanced and varied um, than to hone in specifically on, on race day or the week leading up to your race. So what I love about the performance plate is it helps distinguish the only slight difference that really needs to take place when you're shifting between off season or your, your, your light training day and, you know, your day of the race, day of game meal plan. And so on your days where you're training for longer, and this would apply to most of the whole lead up to an ultra, I would think when you're, when you're logging significant miles, you want a high percentage of your diet to come from carbohydrates. They are our body's go-to most efficient, most accessible energy source. And so that means easily, you know, you want half your plate to be carbohydrates and you want a quarter to be protein and you want a quarter to be, you know, your fruits and vegetables, which are also carbohydrates, but I'm distinguishing between like your whole grain type of carbohydrate. So your rice, your sweet potato, your quinoa, your pasta. Um, And then when you're not in as heavy a training mode, you're going to dial back a little bit on those, those whole grains. And that's going to be a quarter of your plate. And you're going to up the fruits and the vegetables to half your plate. And that still gives you the remainder of your lean proteins for the quarter of the plate. That doesn't change. Um, and that, that half plate fruits and vegetables, th- that's for everybody that you don't need to be an athlete for that to be what's recommended. That's, those are our eat the rainbow, all your incredible, juicy, lovely antioxidants, you know, inflammation, flighting, uh, lovely phytochemicals. So it doesn't always have to be so precise, but I, I do understand the drive that people have to think, oh, I, you know. I could maybe I'll just get this edge if I if I get that nutrition precisely right. And I I suppose what's important for me to people here is that that precisely right is so unique. I'm I'm not able to tell you what that is. That's that's so individual to each of you. And so that may be frustrating to hear and yet it's also an opportunity for you to know nobody knows your body like you do. You're the expert. And so it it takes some experimentation. It takes um, that open mind to, to recognize, oh, there isn't just one answer to this. Maybe there are, you know, three different types of lunches that make me feel really good. And maybe there, you know, four different things I can put in my pack that, you know, keep me going when I'm at mile 20. Um, So I don't know, I hope that feels more liberating to people than frustrating to hear that. Yeah. And I think like if we can, between you and I, if we can come up with a link that we can put into the show notes that can kind of point people towards that performance plate, because I know for me, like even hearing you say those numbers, it makes sense to me, but I also need a visual to help me like, okay, I get it. You know, let's go back though, because I think that we talked about intuitive eating at the beginning, we didn't quite define it. And so oftentimes I feel so like, I feel like when you say that word to people, the 
misconception might be, well, intuitive means feeling. Well, I feel like eating a basket of French fries after I run. Does that qualify as intuitive eating, right? So talk to me just a little bit more about your kind of definition of intuitive eating and what it looks like in the wild, like how people should actually practice it on a day-to-day basis. So in terms of intuitive eating, it's becoming a little bit of a trendy term, which also means that it is actually getting co-opted and hijacked by not so well-intended commercial folks out there. So the original phrase intuitive eating was coined by two really remarkable dietitians in 1995, Elise Resch and Evelyn Triboli. And so they've written uh, the seminal book called Intuitive Eating. And I recently became a certified intuitive eating counselor through a training program with them and a a self-study course and an exam um, and supervision. So intuitive eating it actually has 10 principles to it. So it's more than what some people think of as the hunger fullness diet. It It's not as easy as saying, oh, I'm going to eat when I'm hungry. And then when I intuit that I'm full, I'm going to stop it. That's some of it for sure. It's, it's really a self care feeding framework. So it's how do we, how do we integrate rational thought, and emotions, and instincts to care for ourselves in the way that we are feeding. Um, There are a lot of different ways to describe it. And even the founders of the, the whole practice say they'll often describe it differently based on who their audience is. But the 10 principles... They, they start with one, the first one is the most important, really, which is to ditch diet culture. And so it's recognizing that mostly diets don't work. More than 95% of diets after, after six months, when you look at the one year, two year and beyond data, most people's efforts to lose weight are not successful. And really what is ethical is to tune into what our bodies need and what is right for us, because there is not one proper healthy body size. Uh, And so there's another movement called Haze Health at Every Size that really explores that. And you, you don't need to look farther than the Olympics this year and to see some of the athletes there that are phenomenal and they're winning medals and they're not in what we might deem to be, oh, that's a healthy person right? I mean, health uh, is not dictated by the number on the scale. It's let's look at people's lab values, right? If you want to talk health, let's look at your lipid levels. Let's look at your blood sugar. Um, And then let's talk about your mental health too, right? Because you can, you know, if you can have a great blood sugar, but you're suffering from another ailment, um, that's all holistic health, right? And we need to take part, take care of all parts of us. So I could uh, intuitive eating is definitely a whole nother um, a whole nother show. There might be ten other shows, one for each principle. But I suppose the way it's most relevant to your audience in today's topic is the notion that you know numbers and recommendations when it comes to grams of protein during recovery, number of grams of carbohydrate per day. 
um, you just have to take it with a grain of salt because there are also going to be times where you just need to listen to your body. And if you notice that, you know, you ate your snack and you're hungry a half hour later, not to question that, not to say, well, wait a minute, but I just, I just had my, my snack an hour ago. It's kind of like trusting your bladder. Like when you have to pee, you just go pee. You don't say, wait a minute, should I have to pee now? I just, I just peed a half hour ago. No, you just go take care of it, right? And that's that's a good analogy. <laughs> and I, I can't claim it as mine. It's Evelyn Triboli's. Um, but that's what it is. It's learning that that body trust to not have these associations that so much of our dieting culture has put on, you know, that hunger, it's bad to feel hungry. We should never feel hungry. Gosh, it's bad, you know, and uh, no, hunger is great. That's telling you your body's working. How do you, here's, here's a big one for me. And this is something that I have to, I have had to work on um, because I love to eat. I mean, I can pretty much eat at the drop of a hat. And I think a lot of people, and that's not necessarily as it pertains to the volume of my training. I just like to eat, you know, like most of us, we get that dopamine or endorphin rush when we eat good food that we like to eat. So how do you distinguish between just wanting to eat like your brain saying, "Mm, I'd like another dopamine hit now, please versus I'm truly hungry. Like, I think this is also a tricky one for a lot of people. And I think it also ties into, and we don't have to necessarily talk about it now, but when you, I touched on it just a second ago, when you up your training volume, there is an increased amount of hunger that goes along with it. So how do you manage that hunger increase and learning when you're actually hungry versus when you just want to eat? Ooh, right. So much nuance here, right? So another terrific question. That I will freely admit I did not prep Tiffany for. Like we had a series of questions. I'm like throwing her a curveball right now. We had a series of questions that are, you know, kind of outlining what we talked about, the basics, the fundamentals of nutrition. But what I told Tiffany was, since this is her first podcast, which I'm super excited about, by the way, that like, we'll just kind of have a conversation. I didn't tell her that I was going to throw her these curveballs. I can do this. I can do this, Megan. No, I have no doubt that you can. I just want to put it into context for people so that... (laughs) they know that I'm like throwing this out of, out of left field at you. So (laughs) thank you. So part of it is definitely a process, right? So one of the key components of intuitive eating is learning something that's called interoceptive awareness and the gold standard to understand or be able to um, comprehend what that means is the ability, for example, to, to estimate your heart rate. So if you can tune in to how quickly your heart is beating, you have excellent interoceptive awareness. And so it's that ability to sense on the inside of your body what is happening. And meditation is wonderful for developing that. Um, and so it's, it's, it's developing that body trust to, to distinguish, yes, this is hunger um, versus, oh, those chocolate chip cookies look really good. I think I'd like one. 
the important thing about intuitive eating is that it's not saying, don't you ever eat that chocolate chip cookie if you're not hungry. It's saying, we're all going to have times when we want to eat for the pure pleasure of eating. And that is normal. In fact, that is, I mean, we're biologically programmed to derive pleasure from food the same way we are from sex, right? I mean, it's part of how we keep our, our species going. And so I almost feel like your question a little bit goes towards some of the more complicated topics of, of emotional eating. And, and that's real too, right? And it's not to be, um, oh gosh, like stigmatized or to think it's something scary and awful. It, it's something to be aware of. It's something we all do. We're in a society where we do eat emotionally. Um, it, it's, it's critical to be able to, to assess, is that my only coping strategy for what may be uncomfortable feelings related to something else? So that's definitely another whole topic. Um, so I'd say in short, it's a process of starting to learn one's own symptoms of, of what hunger feels like. So some people feel hungry, you know, in the back of their throat. When I talk to clients about this, some people, you know, hear their stomach start to like move around. Some people notice, and this is how I personally notice it and how my family knows when I'm hungry is that I'm not so nice. I start to get <laughs> that hangry irritability, short tempered, uh, get out of my way. <laughs> I need to eat something. Um, some people start to feel tired. There's a dip in their energy level. Some people notice they're thinking about food a lot more. I've learned that that's another thing that helps me tune into the fact that I need to go eat is gosh, I've been thinking about food like over and over again, the past 15 minutes. Oh yeah, I need to go eat. And then I will not be thinking about food after I eat. Try it. It's definitely going to work. <laughs> um, yeah, so I hope that gives a little bit of an answer to your question. No, I, I definitely think it does. And the, the point that you touched on about being able to um, uh, feel your heart rate, I think is so applicable to running and run training because we talk a lot or we have talked a lot in the past in, on the show about you know how to train heart rate versus uh, rate of perceived exertion. And so I told a story about kind of back in the day a long time ago when I was more focused on heart rate training and I was wearing my monitor and really, you know, honing in on this device, I could tell you when, once I had done that a decent amount and I took the stuff away, I could tell you within about five beats either way where my heart rate was because I had just developed, you know, that I could use the technology for that purpose. And then when I took it away, I learned to feel it. So this is so applicable to these runners because they'll be able to kind of understand that explanation of, okay, I really don't, I shouldn't be looking necessarily for external cues like time of day or whatever. I really should be kind of focusing on the internal cues as well as kind of marrying up your activity. So like maybe those, um, one of the things that I think is interesting is I sometimes eat at weird air quotes, weird times of the day, right? I'm not necessarily eating my breakfast at, you know, 8am and then lunch at noon and then dinner at five or six, like that's might be early for some people, but you know, like not eating at those regularly timed intervals, you can eat whenever you're hungry, and that's okay. 
Absolutely. And you can eat oatmeal for dinner, right? And you can eat, you know, pasta for breakfast. Doesn't matter. Your body, you know, wouldn't know what time it was if you were in a dark room, you know? So yeah, you got to eat what's, what's pleasing and what's going to, what's going to give you the, the nutrients you need. So yeah, hundred percent. So you touched on dinner and before we kind of talked about, you mentioned some foods that are like, that will elicit positive or not so positive results when you eat them as they relate to running. Can you kind of touch on, not necessarily like confined to dinner, but what are some of the foods that maybe make our, our stomachs more sensitive? You said apples, like what are some of those other examples? Absolutely. So in terms of the nutrients, so if we just talk sort of like bigger picture, things that are higher in fiber, things that are higher in fat, and things that are higher in protein all cause our digestion to slow down. And in many scenarios, that's ideal. That's what we want. It's healthy to have a, a high amount of fiber. It's, it's good to be getting adequate protein. Of course, we want our fats to be coming mostly from the healthier, you know, unsaturated fats. But when it comes to going for a run, we want our fuel to be digested quickly and easily. We want that conversion from, you know, banana to glucose to be, you know, right on speed track. Um, and so that's where, you know, if it's not a race day, um, you know, that whole wheat toast or that Ezekiel bread, you know, may be nutritionally, you know, a notch above another choice. Although I even hesitate to say that. But certainly, if you're about to go for a long run, you don't want to be having nuts right away, like 100% something nuts and high fiber wasa crackers um, or a hot dog, like something that's very high percentage fat. Um, it's just going to stay in your gut and weigh you down and you probably are not going to feel as you know, energetic and light as you'd like to. So other ways that that might look, um, I'm trying to think of other specific examples of foods. So right, so the, one of the questions that was asking about how to run after dinner, that's tricky, right? I would love to know more about what that individual person usually eats for dinner. So if and what that time period is, right? So it could be that you could eat almost anything for dinner if you give yourselves three hours until you run. But are you eating dinner at 4.30 and starting your long run at 7.30 at night? Um, hard one to do there. So, you know, in that instance, if that's when uh, an individual's window is to get the, the, the movement in, you know, it could be that your dinner really happens at lunchtime or your your biggest meal is at breakfast and and dinner gets divided up into, you know, yeah, a, a bowl of oatmeal um, or some, you know, two waffles with banana and nut butter. Give yourself, you know, an hour and a half, go for your run, come on back. And then within, you know, there is that we haven't talked about it yet, but that real window of opportunity for replacing those glycogen stores and flip, flipping the switch to getting your body back into muscle building mode as opposed to breakdown mode, um, you know, follow that run up with, you know, some sort of drink that's got some protein and some, 
replenishing carbs. So maybe it's a turkey sandwich, maybe it's rice and beans, you know, but but get that in short order after the run. Yeah. And I think like the the nuance to all of this is we got so many great questions, but they're ev- almost, almost every single one required far more background, far more information to be able to provide an actual answer. And so a lot of, you know, what we're talking about are more generalizations. So we're answering the questions, you guys, but we have to, in order to really talk to the person who submitted the question, it's really a matter of getting that kind of deeper dive. And so while it might seem like we're just kind of glossing over things, in your opinion, maybe we're not because because of what Tiffany said at the beginning, like everything is so personalized. I mean, you can really tweak and customize this to fit you. You also need to do the due diligence of understanding where you're at. And I think this is a big one too. People always want um, uh, nutrition advice, but they don't know where they're at now. So it's pointless to get the advice if you haven't done the homework per se to, you know, track your food for a week or two to understand where your energy fluctuates, marry that up with the training that you're doing and the times of the days. Like I usually get questions very similar to the ones that were submitted and I can answer them based on what I know to be true to, about myself, but I'm not in a position to answer them for everybody that sends them in because A, I don't have the credentials to do it, but B, you ha- you need so much more backstory. And you also have to, like I said, do the work to get to a place where you can intelligently ans- like put forth the information that will get you the answer back. Like it's, I can't think of a good analogy, but it's, 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 there's some work that needs to be done before you can just be like, hey, how many carbs should I have before I run? It's like, well, okay, what time of day? How far are you going? What did you have ahead of time? Like, all, there's a lot of backstory that has to get filled in before uh, me or Tiffany or anybody can answer specific to you questions like that. So <laughs> just wanted to throw that in there. <laughs> maybe, we'll, maybe we'll need to do like an Instagram live or something so people can call in with, you know, very specific and we can, we can be on air trying to help them. <laughs> oh, totally. Yes. I actually had that as a side note. I had that in my list of things that, that I thought you and I should do together. That would be really fun because there are so many people that would probably jump at the chance <laughs> to do that. So we'll put it, we'll get that on the books and I'll make sure uh, people know about it ahead of time. Um, so let's, I want to kind of look at our, our list of questions here. We talked about, um, you know, kind of what to eat before, what to eat after. I do want to go back and just kind of touch on that window of time because I, I have had a lot of questions about that. I think it comes up often when it, when it comes to running, like, is there a magic window that you need to eat within? Is there not? Is that, you know, hocus pocus? Like what, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, no, it, it, it's not hocus pocus, but I, I appreciate the, the question about it. It, 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 there is science behind it. And, you know, it's just sort of like a, you know, when is your body working best? And right after you finish exercising, you know, I'd say about, 15 minutes to 45 minutes afterwards, that's when your body is primed to make most optimal use of the nutrients you give it. And so, 
Um, that is when your insulin sensitivity is at its highest. Um, and so the, the c- carbs that you eat are most, most efficiently turned into glycogen and your muscles are, and your liver are sucking it back up to store it for, for the next workout. And it's also when, um, you know, all the amino acids from the proteins are going to start building and repairing those little micro tears that those lovely hill runs are, are, are giving. Um, so there is that window. And there's also a handy dandy little ratio, three to one, not too hard to remember. So three to one, you want three times the carbohydrates to the ratio of, of, car, of protein. So that could look like a fruit smoothie, for example, right? So the carbs in a fruit smoothie are going to come from the fruit, first and foremost. Um, if you put any vegetables in it, sure, you'd have a little bit more of carbs from that. Um, there's going to be carbs in whatever liquid you use. So if you use a juice or cow's milk, a nut-based milk, that's going to have some more carbs. And then the protein, again, individualized. You could be using uh, a protein powder. You could be using Greek yogurt. You could be using peanut butter. Um, that's the protein in there. And, you know, there's going to be some fat depending on the nut milk you use um, or if you put in a scoop of, of peanut butter. So the three to one ratio, um, it's pretty close to like if you've ever heard that, oh, have chocolate milk after a workout. The, the, Chocolate milk is recommended because that actually does have that ratio, right? Now, does it have to be chocolate milk? No. You know, it could be, you know, two handfuls of grapes and water and some pretzels, you know, and then for your protein, you know, maybe you're having some tofu. Who knows, right? But it's it's looking for that three to one. So three times, <laughs> three times the amount. Um, and it's kind of fun. Once you know that number, it doesn't take much to like look on the back of, some of the some of the recovery bars that are out there and say really you want to give me 30 grams of protein and like 15 carbs and 10 grams of fiber after i just you know ran 12 miles no thank you like get me get me a banana get me some juice get me some rice and some beans and save your like I don't know. And I don't want to get in trouble here, like your muscle milk or something for another time. No, you're not in trouble. I think it's just the it's top of mind. Like it's the thing that you can think of first, but we did get some questions and I think we will do, uh, maybe we do, you know, another like Instagram live on this specific subject, because I think this one is a, is a big one is the, you know, prepackaged nutritional products and their efficacy, I guess, or like when you actually should be using them, when should you skip them? Because I think inherently, and I here's here's the disclaimer here, like you and I have both worked for big brands. So that Tiffany managed at the beginning, uh, mentioned at the beginning that she worked for Stonyfield back in the day, I used to work for Pepsi. So like, we have a little bit of like the back end knowledge about some of this stuff and the marketing that goes into it. And they're yeah huge they're capitalizing on the oh what's the word I want the the kind of you know the the cachet of the brand and the the imaging and the timing of um, the occasion when you want to use it so inherently we always think or like general consumers always think and I'm not going to like 
bash brands here, but this is how I'm trying to give you guys like a behind the scenes. Like this is how this works is that consumers for the most part inherently think that the brand has their best interest at in mind. Right. But the, the flip side of that is the brand is the brand. They are marketing their thing. Right. And so when it comes to some of these nutritional products, even if they can demonstrate how it is the appropriate timing for the thing that you need it for, it isn't necessarily the best choice for you or and or the timing of that item is actually better served at a different time. Like you were saying, you know, it's half a bar um, you know, before or after, or it's, you know, some other iteration. But I just kind of want to touch on that because I do, I have encountered it a lot in the past. People are, I guess, kind of interested to hear how from on my side of things, I rely very little on those items and only in specific situations. My diet is predominantly made up of whole foods as like low on the chain as possible, like very close to their original state. And so to hear that I'm only really using bars or chews, I, I couldn't, I can't for the life of me stomach another gel uh, because like, um, back when I started marathon training, they were all the rage. And so like, that was the thing. I just ate a lot of gels and to even just, just somebody to say to me, do you want to goo right now? Makes my stomach turn. (laughs) Like there's no way, but I'm only using those things strategically and, um, in very specific instances where I kind of just need like a boost in my blood sugar while I'm, you know, out on a run. And, you know, maybe that's not even the the right context, but I have found for me that that's when I'm using them. And it's not as a, um, as a meal before or a meal after I will admit to eating one on the fly when, you know, when I'm in a dire way, but you know, that's, if that's the best, I look at it as if that's the best choice that I can make in that moment, then I'm, I'm okay with that. Like if I do that versus, I don't know, like fries at the drive-thru, which I, I rarely ever do, but like, you know, if that's the choice, that's a trade-off that I'm, that I'm willing to make. But that was a, a mini kind of tangent, but the topic of, you know, those prepackaged things, I think is a whole, you know, other thing. And who, I mean, like we could go off on that forever, but I, I am interested to hear your kind of just general thoughts on this, the bars, the gels, the goose, and in terms of running. Yeah. So I think, I think your experience is not unlike many athletes who have been in the field for some time and have had their share of all those packaged solutions they just don't want to stomach another one. And that's because they don't taste as good as real food. Um, and they also are not always as easy to, to digest on your gut. I mean, some people actually find that they are a lot harder. And uh, often it has to do with, you know, the, the task that it's requiring of your, your stomach to do to process it. So um, often they need, you need more water than 
what comes in a cliff bar or something along those lines. So you might have that as part of your pack and be taking, you know, bites of it, but are you, are you getting enough water to actually help digest that heavy load that's popping in there? And that, you know, no one can take away the convenience factor. And that's why I think there's a market for the chews, the blocks, the gummies, the jelly beans, the bars. Uh, but I imagine many people will feel better and will access the nutrition of the food in an enhanced way if they they make some portable solutions on their own. Bits of the waffle, some some potato pieces. Um, I, I was doing a little bit of, of research for this call, and I didn't know of this cookbook. It's called The Feed Zone Cookbook. But that one, we could also send a link to. It has all of these portable solutions that were created for Olympic cyclists um, who just cannot imagine having another goo to get them back home from their ride. Yeah, I'm a big fan of the feed zone. We, we have both of their their cookbooks. Um, and the portable one is really great because you can make like the the pockets and, you know, stuff them. Basically, you, you wrap them in foil and stuff them in your the back pocket of your cycling, you know, jersey, which is how that started. But, you know, being able to throw them in your hydration pack and have them at the ready is also good. And I think like that, I think as you get into ultra running, this is a theme that you'll start to see with a lot of ultra runners is that we can't stomach any more goos and gels. Like we're just over it. We, we will use them sparingly and strategically, but we would much rather opt for the real food. So you'll see runners with bags of boiled potatoes. Myself, you'll see me with like um, you, you mentioned the waffles, which is so funny. Cause that was like one of the things that helped me get through my 100 milers. My husband made, um, he makes excellent vegan waffles and we just did vegan waffles and peanut butter. And I would just carry it's portable. You can run and eat a waffle at the same time. <laughs> so like every cup, every like 15 miles or so I would get a waffle or I would have, you know, any other, you know, various, uh, ultra food, but just the portability and the, the, the shift towards eating actual food versus processed food and being and having those nutrients be um, more available or being able to process them more easily. So 100%. Yep. And there, and there is that, that moisture component that, um, that ties in with obviously hydration, which is again, its own, its own segment, but yeah, I'm sure because of your experience in logging many, many more miles than I do, you, you've experimented with far more solutions to that. But I, I am on board with more of the, yeah, the real food whenever you can. Um, and knowing that don't feel like, you know, uh, your, you know, dried apricots are any bit inferior to the five times as expensive Hoosie Watt chalk block, right? They're actually superior. They just, they just are a little bit, you know, maybe you have to figure out which pocket gets least sweaty, you know, <laughs> um, but they're actually superior for sure. That's a real thing. Yeah, yeah <laughs> no doubt. Um, so the last question we kind of had on our, on our like pre-planned list of things to talk about was, are there any specific things that runners should kind of watch out for when it comes to nutrition? Like, iron deficiency or you know, I can't think of anything else, but you know, like, are there any specific watch out things that we need to, and it's not even necessarily relegated to 
vitamin or mineral deficiencies, but kind of just overarching things that we need to watch out for being in this category of athletes? Absolutely. So I would say there are three things that come to mind off the top of my head. You name the first one or one of your, you know, intelligent question submitters did, which is iron deficiency. Um, so with endurance athletes, right? You are sweating more than the average Joe, the average Mary, and you've got more, you know, more depletion going on with your red blood cells and your muscles. Um, So your iron needs are certainly higher. And then if you look at a female endurance athlete, because of menstruation, you've got to bump that up again. And so some of the things that you can do to thwart that deficiency is something as easy as incorporating an iron fortified cereal. So it could be something like, you know, Cheerios or um, gosh, Quaker oat squares are kind of tasty too. Um, But having that be part of a trail mix or just part of your, your, your routine. Um, Lentils are fabulous as a source of iron. Surely, you know, you know that as a plant-based eater, um, Beans. Um, we could talk more about how you pair your intake of iron with things that are high in vitamin C, because that will help your body's absorption. Um, but that that iron deficiency is is definitely just something to keep an eye on. Um, and if any of your athletes are, you know, donating blood, that's an easy way to get a check of your hemoglobin. <laughs> um, that'll tell you how your how your iron's doing. Um, but sometimes you need something, you know, more more in depth than that, you know, an iron panel that will really look at your ferritin stores, which is a more accurate, um, I guess it can, it can foretell a little bit more of how, how depleted your iron levels may be. But I'd say stave that off, have, have an iron fortified cereal as part of your, as part of your day. Um, iron deficiency was number one. Uh, the second one I would say is, you know, Overall, as we started the show with, is that energy availability. So really recognizing, are you fueling adequately? You know, are you suffering from any of the signs that could indicate not enough nutrition, um, such as frequent injury and illness, stress fractures, um, uh, fatigue being an obvious one, Um you know, lots of training and hard work without seeing any improvement. Those all could be signs of you don't actually have enough energy. You're not giving your body enough to to have as a reserve here. Um, and then, you know, the other one would be supplements. I, I, I gotta say, <laughs> you know, uh, it's a regu- It's not a regulated industry, so you know, people. We, we love to think that there's a, a magic pill or something that's going to make our hair grow back or, you know, you name it, uh, make us faster all of a sudden. Or, you know, if it sounds easy and it sounds too good to be true, it, it probably is. So I'd say, you know, there, there are not too many supplements that that really you need um, and, and look to food as the source when you can. Um, so those and, and I guess tied in with that adequacy are all the diet myths out there. And so that, again, is a whole nother episode. But I, I really do feel that that is something to watch out for because there are lots of businesses, lots of companies that, you know, want you to feel like 
you need their products or you need to be signing on to some sort of plan or buying a certain diet book. Um, and you know, you, you really don't. <laughs> um, so I'd say just that mentality of feeling like somebody else really knows all the answers to make you a better you. They probably don't. That's awesome. Yeah. Cause I think there, there are an infinite number of diet slash nutrition books out there. And each one probably has, you know, some nuggets of information that could be useful to you. So it isn't about following one strict protocol in my mind, I should clarify that. Like in my mind, I agree. Yeah. It's like, you can learn a lot of different things that you could start to pair with that intuitive eating that will help you to get to a place where you're not standing in front of the refrigerator kind of questioning what you should be eating or you're not able to like come up with a a meal plan for the week and you're, you know, relying on fast food or excessive amounts of takeout or, you know, I mean, you, you have to do what works for you. And if you have to order food, that's fine. I'm not downplaying the convenience of ordering food, but I think overall, I think that the, the benefits you get from trying to cook as many of your meals as you can as possible outweighs um, what you make up or what you try to get from convenience of ordering every single night. But I mean, that's, that's my personal opinion. So I just want to clarify that, but, you know, overarchingly whole foods as close to their, um, original state as possible has, has, hasn't steered us wrong yet. So. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Correct. As a, as a population on this planet, I would agree. I would agree. And I would also just um, add on to that the notion of the damage that stressing out about every aspect of our food really does play, right? I mean, if you're going to have, um, again, fill in your, your treat food, your fun food, your dessert, your indulgence, if you're going to stress out about it after you eat it and while you're eating it, that's likely doing a lot more damage than the blank grams of saturated fat that the the item had in it to begin with, right? And I think that carries over to that, you know, that whole, I, it's one of the questions I always ask the people I'm working with is, you know, what is, on a scale from one to 10, what is your level of stress around food in your life? And, and you know, the people who are saying eight and nine, that they, they think about food you know, all day long, what can I eat this? Can I not eat that? What if I eat that? Um, how much of that can I have? Like th- that in itself carries such a, a burden, you know, that's part of what we call like allostatic load. Like that's not good for you. So you also just want to have it all, all about the balance, right? Easy, to, more easily said than done. But it, it's so funny because I feel like nutrition is, is, it, it can be so simple and yet it is also complex and how it can be both things at once is, is always curious to me, but it, it doesn't need to be too complex is what I, I, I want to say. And I think that's a good, I think that's a good place to, to stop for the day, but I think that's a great sentiment to end on because it's just like, it's just like running, like it can be as easy or as complicated as you want to make it. So I think understanding that 
and giving people permission that you don't have to stress about it. It doesn't need to consume your day. It can be more intuitive than planned. Those are kind of all the same things that I would say, you know, about running at the same time. And so if you can kind of find the happy medium between all of those things, you know, finding that kind of secret sauce that works for you in terms of planning and understanding and letting some of it just kind of go with the flow, your life will get just like a little bit easier because it won't be so stressful and time consuming. So um, Tiffany, thank you so much for coming on here and joining us. Where can people find you if they just want to follow you on social media and or if they're considering like they need some help in starting to like plan out what they're eating and like developing, you know, a protocol for themselves? Like where can people find you? Wonderful. Yes, I would love to connect with people. So um, I guess the, the place that would be easiest would be on Instagram. Um, my, my handle is Harvest Nutrition Wellness. So I would love people to, to check me out there. Um, you can feel free to DM me. I also have a, a website by the same name, Harvest Nutrition Wellness. And uh, yeah, I'm, I, I'm taking new clients. I accept insurance. I love meeting new people. Um, and I'm happy to happy to continue the conversations with you. I've, I've loved this. I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to look for other podcasts to be on. This is great. <laughs> well, and I'm, I'm ha- first two thoughts. First, I'm happy that I got to be your first podcast. Second, you could probably have your own podcast that you could just fill with this amazing knowledge that you have. And I mean, but, but you are welcome back on She Runs Ultras as often as you would like to come. <laughs> Thank you. I want to, I want to come back. I want to come back because I I don't think I have the the hosting talent that you have, but I I like being a guest. (laughs) Thank you. Do you have any final thoughts or words that you want to share? Pearls of wisdom? Gosh, no, this has been really fun. And it's, you know, as I stand here, I'm noticing my stomach is feeling rather empty. So it's telling me that I need to get off the, get off the call soon, put something in my mouth and then move on to the next part of, uh, of the day. But I, you know, it's, it's fun. I wish I could see the listeners. Um, I listen to a lot of different podcasts myself. So I, um, I always think it's fun to think who's out there listening. And I hope they're having a great day and that some of this information was, uh, was helpful to them. Well, everybody go check out Tiffany. Uh, we'll put the, her links, her handle and her links to her website in the show notes, but you should definitely go follow her. Uh, say hi, drop into her DMs and just let her know what you thought of this episode. And yeah, you'll see her again. So, all right, you guys, we'll see you soon. Have a great day. Okay, you guys. Well, I hope that you enjoyed that conversation with Tiffany. She's pretty cool, huh? She has so much information, so much knowledge stacked away up in that brain about nutrition for runners. I would highly recommend that you go and check her out. And like we mentioned at the beginning and kind of throughout the episode, we've got a lot of questions. So be on the lookout for future episodes where we kind of systematically go through and answer all of those generalized questions, right? We talked about maybe doing an episode where she live coaches someone and that's a possibility too. So if you're interested in that, let me know. In the meantime, I have put all of Tiffany's information into the show notes. Go follow her, say hi, check out her website. And definitely if you're looking for some help kind of wrangling your nutrition, whether that's every day or as it pertains to your running, make sure you reach out to Tiffany and have a conversation of your own. So in addition to getting a lot of questions 
questions about nutrition as it pertains to running, the other questions that I get a lot is how do I run more and hurt less? And this is probably one of my favorite questions to answer. And if you've been following me for a while, you'll likely know the answer to this already. But if you're new here, the simple answer is strength and mobility because runners put their bodies through so much. And at a certain point, it becomes like their bodies just become accustomed or even resigned to the constant aches and pains associated with racking up all the miles. It doesn't have to be that way though. And I, for one, can speak from experience as somebody who has had horrible sciatic pain. And the only way I was able to overcome that was to incorporate more strength and mobility into my training plan. It made a huge difference, you guys, not only in my running, but also in my just general overall quality of life. Now, you guys know about Run Farther Faster Stronger and how the current group is closed, but I wanted to put together something that you could do without having to wait for the next round to be open. So I have gathered up a bunch of the strength and mobility essentials, the foundations really, just like we talked about the foundations for nutrition in this episode. These are the essentials, the foundations to help you get started integrating more strength and mobility into your everyday life. And honestly, it's not as complicated as you might think. I'll put the link in the show notes, but you can go to my website, megan-gould.com forward slash essentials, M-E-G-H-A-N-G-O-U-L-D.com forward slash E-S-S-E-N-T-I-A-L-S. Definitely go check that out because it's a four-week program that will walk you step-by-step through the process of integrating more strength training and mobility into your routine. Now, you don't have to go out and buy a bunch of stuff. We start out with a lot of body weight movements, and you can kind of build up or scale from here. And basically, the goal is to help you move more frequently, learn to kind of tap into that body knowledge that Tiffany and I talked about and get fewer aches and pains and restrictions so that you can run all the miles necessary to get to your goal. So whether that's a 5k or like a 500k. So if you're constantly dealing with aches and pains and injuries, if you feel like your running has plateaued and maybe you even want to make the jump to the next distance, this is for you. Now, you don't have to have any prior strength and mobility experience. All you have to do is hit play and follow along, and I'll teach you everything you need to know to get started. So go check it out, megan-gould.com forward slash essentials, or just like everything else, I'll put it in the show notes and you can find it there. That's all for this time, you guys. Enjoy this beat, and I'll see you all soon. 